0: Hi, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the Stolen Lands of the Kulin Nation. And we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. In today's program, we look at the workers' struggle against wages suppression and the use of insecure work to undermine wages and conditions fought for over decades in this country. We are at a crossroads and we hear from a worker at the brunt of this new style of wages and job security destruction and from Sally McManus, the Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, as the ACTU leads into its ACTU Congress 2021. COVID is at the top of people's minds at the moment. An international pandemic has that effect, but many of the issues for workers and the policies of the Federal Government have been on the agenda even before the pandemic hit. During COVID, the Federal Government has tried to maintain the illusion that it is a steady hand on the tiller. But on closer inspection, some of their messages are clearly there to show themselves in a good light, but are light on the truth. Let's look at the Employment Minister, Stuart Roberts' recent announcement that employment has now increased by 285,100 jobs in 2021, the largest increase in the first six months of a calendar year on record. There are two deceptions found in that remark, according to Australian Independent News. First, Robert wants us to forget what happened in the first six months of last year – There was a decrease over that period of a staggering 589,100 jobs. Naturally, there will be a recovery in the months following that horrific collapse. The increase in the first six months this year is merely clawing back jobs this government lost. The second deception is that Robert is quoting raw numbers. Jobs must always be looked at relative to population The increase of 285,100 jobs in the first six months of 2021 was only 1.36% of the adult population, which is not the record. Bob Hawke and Keating did much better than that in the first six months of 1986 with a 1.50% increase. Hawke did it again in 1989 with a lift of 1.46%. Now, the announcement floats in the ether amongst the COVID concerns, but clearly it is there to create a false impression of the government's economic success. OK for the federal LNP government, but not OK for the country. Who wants to tackle a raging sea of economic storms in a leaky boat with a delusional captain? What is the result for Australian workers? On the ground, we hear first up from a worker who last year worked for Switzer in Geelong. Now, Switzer is the largest towage company in Australia, part of Merckx, the biggest logistic company in the world. Switzer forced the 18 workers running their boats in Geelong port on enforced redundancies four days before Christmas, saying the operation was uneconomic. The problem for the workers is that six months later, Switzer has returned to the port saying it will employ a fly-in, fly-out workforce using a labour hire company in an attempt to remove a union labour force that had been negotiating in good faith for two years before the company pulled up stumps. As we hear, it isn't just about money. Can you tell me uh, what happened down at Switzer?
1: Geelong? In Geelong, yeah, well, they changed everything and got rid of the, uh, the local boys out of the... The MUA local boys out of the workforce and uh, made us force redundant four days before Christmas last year and now and they've brought in um, virtual non-union labour, scab labour and after they said they were leaving the port because it wasn't viable anymore and um, six months later they've started up again.
0: When it happened four days before Christmas, uh, what, were, what did they say to you?
1: That the port wasn't viable anymore, they're losing too much money and they can't compete with the other mob that's down there which is another non-union outfit. And um, they forced redundant all of us, seventeen local blokes, out of the workforce.
0: Yeah. So, so did they, How did they do it? Did, did they do it by email? Did they actually front you?
1: I oh, know we had meetings with them. It was an ongoing process for quite some time, probably close on the three month mark. I mean, it was always whispers a little bit before that, but uh, at the three three month mark, they started initiating their their so called consultation meetings, which were, as we now know, a, a crock. Um, the ultimate uh, ambition for them was just to get rid of the union labour force out of there and uh, and start up again with a non-union labour force.
0: Did they give you redundancy?
1: Yeah, it was all forced redundancy. A lot of us. There was a few blokes that were uh, like in the uh, the upstairs and the downstairs. Mop, a few boys that were a bit older and were ready to go. But there was you know five or six of us that really need to keep working. I've got young kids in school and and a young family to raise and. Um, yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to get in down there. I'd, I'd worked away for 19 years and um, yeah, I was only there for six years and then they ripped it away from me. So it's been, a, it's been a lot of pressure on me and the family um, having to go back to sea. But, um, you know, force redundant, they wouldn't even transfer us up here to Melbourne because they just wanted us gone. They just They had an ultimate plan and they were sticking to it.
0: This business, um, so you've got a, a good experience of the stresses that come from working away because a lot of people in the country, they, uh, someone has to work away in order to maintain the uh, family unit, don't they?
1: They do. And um, as I said, I, I did 19 years in the offshore, doing uh, like a five-week-on, five-week-off swing. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty hard on my wife. Um, and then, yeah, obviously with the young children, uh, I had to come back home. Uh, and managed to get back home and actually working in my home port because I'm born and bred in Geelong. Um, it, was, it was seen as, you know, that was the, the ultimate solution and, and it was working really well and and then these fits of snakes took it away from us.
2: Can,
0: can we look at this business about bringing in um, uh, fly-in, fly-out people to a community? I mean, it's not like Geelong, it's a... Um, a small place, I mean, it's got a lot of history. In fact, it's probably got a bit a longer history than Melbourne in some ways. Um, how do the people feel about having to support a company that actually doesn't support you?
1: Well, that's what the rally was all about the other day to let the local people know that you know, the, the community shouldn't be putting up with what this uh, international conglomerate of Spitzer are doing to, to the local workforce. Uh, 17 local blokes forced redundant out of a job, and now they're started up again with um, fly-in, fly-out labour. Uh, Most of these guys are from the West, apparently. So, you know, it doesn't make much sense. So
0: they themselves are having to work away from home and their families are in the same position as your families?
1: Pretty much, yeah, but um, they're not working under the same conditions either, so it's, um, yeah, to be honest with you, I don't know how they're doing it. I really don't know how they're doing it.
0: Also, you weren't asking for very much, were you? You were asking for fair pay, fair, uh, fair wages, fair... I mean, you, you're not greedy a lot.
1: We had six crews down there, three guys in each crew, which is a total of 18 blokes. And our last-minute uh, offer to Spitzer was to go down to two crews, which is not viable. You can't run the port, the two tugs with just two crews. But we, uh, we offered two crews and a wage reduction, and that was still thrown away, so... I think uh, I think everyone sort of needs to understand that Spitzer had a bigger picture in mind in regards to getting rid of the union labour, labour force down there.
0: Tells you that the union's important, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, I wouldn't be going to see without them.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Cheers. Thanks for
0: that. You're on stick together. Workers' stories, union news, and social justice issues. Sally McManus, the Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, spoke at a recent Australian Institute webinar entitled The Broken Bargain, Australia's Growing Wages Crisis. This is some of what she said.
3: The Liberal Party in this country have had a political stranglehold on the definition of good economic management. Trickle-down economics, the weaponisation of government debt, the demonisation of the safety net. And this is how they've controlled the economic levers of government. Well, this might be the year where their cover is blown. The COVID pandemic, still raging around parts of the world and in my hometown of Sydney, it's highlighted perhaps more than any other previous moment in history the fundamental distinction between the well-being of all of society and the wealth and affluence of the rich. Around the world, millions have died. Tens of millions faced frightening disease and economies were humbled. Yet stock markets hit record highs, including here in Australia. The wealth of Australia's billionaires doubled during the pandemic. Profits rose 10% despite the recession and mass unemployment. It's very clear that what the government views as a strong economy is namely more profits, higher stock markets and more wealth for the rich. And it's not necessarily good for ordinary people. We'll never see stronger proof that wealth does not trickle down. In Australia, for the last generation, wealth has actually trickled up. And during the pandemic, the trickle has become a torrent. And here's the conundrum for them. They were boasting about the strength of the economy post-COVID prior to Sydney lockdown. The government has trumpeted out the economy as a tribute to their management, with consumer demand roaring back, employment recovering, the stock market rebounding, profit going up. But whenever they're asked to stand up for working people and wage earners, their story turns dark. Their strong economy becomes a house of cards that can be blown down by the smallest puff of wind, increase the minimum wage, Well, the time's just not right. It'll hurt business. Improve workers' rights? Well, that could really bring us all unstuck. Do we need to do something about insecure work? Well, that would be just impossible. A break on productivity and business needs flexibility. Use the government to invest in proper services and Australian jobs? No, let's just leave that to the private sector. It appears the economy can be both strong and weak at the same time. And whether the economy is strong or the economy is weak, the government believes workers should get less. At least there's one point where the government is consistent. However, this year, uh, for the first time I can remember, while the federal government were beating their chests about the recovery, wages came into the spotlight. Now, Australia, as many of you know, was once admired around the world and rightly so for our high levels of inclusive prosperity and equality. You know, the fair go, sunshine harvester decision of 1907, supported by decades of struggles by the Australian Union movement, is how we fought for and we tried to protect a system for people that was meant to be governed by rational and moral principles rather than economic brute force. We pioneered the idea of the living wage. We led the way on the eight-hour day. We built systems of awards that were unique in the world, and they ensured a level playing field and fair compensation for workers across different occupations and industries. That system is still globally unique, despite it being watered down to a safety net rather than a way to lead progress for all workers. The post-war era, Australia had a prosperous and productive economy, which was good for workers. Social and economic equality, while certainly not perfect, rivaled the advanced social democracies of the Nordic countries. It was a uniquely Australian social contract, uniquely Australian bargain, the fair go. Well, this all began to unravel with the advent and ascent of the neoliberal economic trickle-down economic policies. Now, these policies came to Australia in a unique way, Reflecting the particular historical and political circumstances of our country, but they came all the same. And Australia today has lost our reputation as a land of the fair go. When the Governor of Reserve Bank says there's a problem with wages, the issue is clearly at crisis point. For over the past decades, wages did allow gradual improvements in the real state of living for most uh, workers, their real standards of living. Of course, there were too many people who still fell through the cracks of our industrial relations system, but there was an established pattern over the years of wages keeping up. And the data tells us something changed around the end of 2013. Oh, I wonder what that could have been. I seem to recall a certain election and a certain Prime Minister coming into office at that time. Of course, it wasn't just that election. There are other factors that mattered as well. And the whole course of wages was shifted onto a different track and has been stuck there ever since. Since late 2013, according to the ABS Wages Price Index, nominal wages across the whole economy have grown at an average of 2%. Wage growth in the private sector has been even weaker. The Wage Price Index doesn't tell the whole story because it eliminates the impact of changes in job composition over overcompensation. When lower um, wage part-time and casual jobs are expanding as they have been, then the growth of the overall wages is even weaker. 2% is barely half the pace of the traditional wage growth in Australia. And contrary to the comforting rose-coloured forecasts of government and business economists, this wasn't a short-term blip. It's now a well-established trend Every year in the official budget forecasts, this government has said, don't worry, wages are going to strengthen, supply and demand conditions are tightening, the market will fix it. Every single year, the government's been wrong. Year after year, the government predicted a rebound in wages growth. Every year, that rebound failed to materialise. Most of all, they can't say how they will get um, wages higher eight straight years of very low wage growth. And this has been the worst wage record in Australia's post-war history, eight straight years. And the pandemic really has made things worse. I don't need to tell you all that the pandemic has made it worse. It's important to note that workers entered the crisis in a very weak position. The economy was slowing. In 2019, 2020, bushfires caused huge damage and uncertainty and we were already enduring seven years of record low wage growth. The pandemic and resulting recession have made things worse. Nominal wage growth effectively stopped altogether in the worst months of 2020. On a year-on-year basis, it fell below 1.4%, the worst since the depression. There was a tiny improvement in the March quarter of this year to 1.5%, but nothing to restore confidence. And there's no sign things will get better without deliberate concerted action to make it so. There's no reason for employers to change their behavior. Employers naturally take advantage of their power. And When the problem has been so obvious for seven years before the pandemic, we can't just blame COVID for the crisis in wages. We can't let the government and employers use COVID as a scapegoat when their own failures were obvious for so many years.
0: You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues.
3: In comparison to the rest of the world, Australia has one of the worst wages trends of any industrial country. According to OECD data, average nominal wage growth in the five years before the pandemic was ninth worst amongst 35 industrial countries. In real wage terms, we were the third worst and measuring relative, relative to inflation, remember, real wages basically went nowhere for those five years before the pandemic. So it can't be argued that the wages crisis is a universal global phenomena. Yes, workers around the world face huge challenges trying to protect their standards of living and, um, and win real wages. But here in Australia, we will once the land of the fair go, workers have fared especially badly. That means we have to look at our own policy failures, the failures of our own institutions. We can't blame market forces. The record weakness of wages for the last eight years in a row has exacerbated another problem, which was also around long before the pandemic. There's been a huge redistribution in Australia's economic pie away from workers and in favour of corporations. That trend started long ago. Are reached unprecedented levels, levels of extreme during the pandemic. And this is a direct and predictable result of deliberate policies put in place to suppress wages. Workers are producing more output every year thanks to their new skills, new technology and rising productivity. In fact, Australian workers produce more value-add with each hour of their labour than any time in history but their compensation is not remotely kept up with their productivity. And this can be seen in the major reduction in workers' share of total output, their slice of the national economic pie. Labor compensation, including superannuation contributions, hit a record low 47% of Australia's GDP in 2019. That's the lowest annual average since the ABS started reporting this data back in 1959. And from a peak labour share of 574 in 1975, over one-tenth of the economic pie has been taken away from workers. That loss of 10.4% of GDP is worth $208 billion in today's terms. And that works out to a stunning average of $20,000 in lost income for each and every waged worker in Australia. During this same period, the share of GDP going to corporate profits has grown steadily. It went from under 16% of GDP in 1975 to over 26% of GDP, highest ever, in 2019. That's an increase of 10.2 percentage points, and it's worth $200 So workers have lost a 10% share in the GDP pie, and corporations have gained a 10% share in the GDP pie. Decades of deliberate efforts to suppress wages, disempower workers, enrich and empower businesses have paid off. The distribution of national income has shifted dramatically and is dangerously in favor of business. And this was the whole point of neoliberal trickle-down economics. It's worked for business, it just hasn't worked for anyone else.
0: You're on Stick Together, Worker Stories, Union News, and Social Justice Issues.
3: The other side, you know, the people who are benefiting are kicking up a lot of dust and saying it's a whole lot of things that's not. So every month there's a new theory trying to explain low wages. One week they say it's because unemployment is too high, and when unemployment comes down, then wages will go up. Then they say it's because productivity isn't growing fast enough. Then the next week it's, oh, yeah, there's a problem with underemployment, it's too high, we've got to wait for that to be fixed somehow. And last week they started saying it's, well, it's because immigration has been too high. So talk about ignoring the very big policy elephant in the room and it's time our country faces up to the truth so we can see what that problem actually is. The wage crisis for workers, the destruction of the fair go, The creation of a working underclass betrayal of the great Australian bargain is a deliberate outcome of conscious policy. It was caused by policies designed to weaken the bargaining power of workers. When workers try and bargain in Australia, it's like being tied to a chair and asked to stand up when every arm and every leg is tied down. Over the years, as employers have won precedence to the detriment of working people, the laws have become even more restrictive and the bonds have tightened. And the easier it has been for employers to outsource and casualise jobs, the more those bonds have tightened. Our bargaining rules operate to severely limit and restrict working people at every step. Now, last year, when the government oversaw talks between unions and employer groups, we again witnessed employers trying to loosen the restrictions on them and push back on the very few protections workers still have. Workers have less and less access to collective bargaining because of all these one-sided, over-regulation has crushed the power that workers have to convince their employers to lift wages. In the past, Australian workers could rely on bargaining and the award system which allowed strongly unionised workers to drive wages growth. This helped those workers, but it also dragged up those without bargaining power as well. It set a floor; it lifted all workers up. But the current laws do not support workers' bargaining for wage rises. Collective bargaining is harder than it's ever been for working people, and the award system operates as a mere safety net basically frozen in place, and unable to respond when there are changes to wage levels in an industry. The inability for awards to move upwards, even when there's clear cases of gendered undervaluation in work like childcare and aged care, it's actually creating incentives for employers to outsource work, to casualise work. So as unionised workers, want better pay increases over time, they played off against workers who only got the award wage. Workers, uh, Employers who only pay the award undercut those employers with bargains. This is how labour hire companies have prospered. They've marketed their services as a method of cutting wages as good, secure, properly paid jobs are replaced with insecure, low-paid jobs. And employers have been given more rights and more parachutes to help them out paying decent wages and conditions. As a result of the Horizon decision of the full bench of the Fair Work Commission in 2015, employers are now able to argue that enterprise agreements should be cancelled altogether if it's been too hard to bargain. And this means workers' wages and entitlements can be radically slashed, stripping them of 20 years' worth of bargain gains overnight. You can just imagine that. This is a threat employers have been using at bargaining tables ever since 2015, come to an agreement or suffer a unilateral pay cut and lose important job security safeguards build up over the years like redundancy payments. Or The effect of all of these threats have further tightened those bonds I talked about. So it's just no wonder we have a wages crisis. Wages won't rise if workers don't have bargaining power. Wages won't rise if workers don't have rights. Our wages problem is a bargaining power problem. Employers have too much and employees not enough. With all the power in the hands of employers, wages no longer move in a way that fairly shares the gains of productivity, of profits, of our nation's wealth. That is why there's been a 10% shift from working people to corporations. We have low wages growth because we have policies that deliberately suppress it. This is a problem that won't be fixed until those policies change. Australia's dedicated and creative trade unionists struggle every single day under this system. But unfair laws make our jobs harder than it is for our union colleagues in the rest of the OECD. Harder than it even is for union members and activists in the United States. Governments impose wage caps, just like employers oppose, uh, impose low-wage policies. Workers struggle to break them because, unlike employers, they're tied to the chair. A bargaining system needs to be updated. It needs to be rebalanced to give all workers the ability to access the system to deliver fair pay increases. That's it
0: for Stick Together this week. If you are interested in the upcoming ACTU Congress, you can register online at the ACTU Congress 2021 site. It is running on the 27th and the 28th of July. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin and until next week, remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you and stick together.
2: Never Every job I have, I used to keep you at the dock. Career opportunity, the no one that never knocked I hate the army and I hate the RAF. I don't want to go, I in the tropical league. I hate the silver sided boom. I won't open, that phone bomb for you Career opportunity, the no one that never knocked they jumped the alpha used to keep you at the dock. Got a